Welcome to Read By, where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In today's episode, Joseph O'Neill reads from Vladimir Nabokov's Pnin. To learn more from O'Neill about his choice, check out the episode description. And now, Read By, Joseph O'Neill. I'm going to be reading from Vladimir Nabokov's novel, Pnin, which is a book that I return to very often when I need a tonic. Uh, Pnin is a Russian emigre in the United States who teaches at a university. And this is from the first chapter where he's on his way to an important lecture, but unfortunately for Pnin, he's on the wrong train. All of which does not alter the fact that Pnin was on the wrong train. How should we diagnose his sad case? Pnin, it should be particularly stressed, was anything but the type of that good-natured German platitude of the last century, der Zertreuter Professor. On the contrary, he was perhaps too wary, too persistently on the lookout for diabolical pitfalls, too painfully on the alert, lest his erratic surroundings, unpredictable America, inveigle him into some bit of preposterous oversight. It was the world that was absent-minded, and it was Pnin whose business it was to set it straight. His life was a constant war with insensate objects that fell apart, or attacked him, or refused to function, or viciously got themselves lost as soon as they entered the sphere of his existence. He was inept with his hands to a rare degree, but because he could manufacture in a twinkle a one-note mouth-organ out of a pea-pod, make a flat pebble skip ten times on the surface of a pond, shadow graph with his knuckles a rabbit, complete with blinking eye, and perform a number of other tame tricks that Russians have up their sleeves, he believed himself endowed with considerable manual and mechanical skill. On gadgets he doted with a kind of dazed, superstitious delight. Electric devices enchanted him, plastics swept him off his feet. He had a deep admiration for the zipper, but the devoutly plugged-in clock would make nonsense of his mornings after a storm in the middle of the night had paralysed the local power station. The frame of his spectacles would snap in mid-bridge, leaving him with two identical pieces which he would vaguely attempt to unite, in the hope, perhaps, of some organic marvel of restoration coming to the rescue. The zipper a gentleman depends on most would come loose in his puzzled hand at some nightmare moment of haste and despair and he still did not know that he was on the wrong train. A special danger area in Pnin's case was the English language. Except for such not very helpful odds and ends as The rest is silence, never more, weekend, who's who, and a few ordinary words like eat, street, fountain pen, gangster, Charleston, marginal utility, He had no English at all at the time he left France for the States. Stubbornly, he sat down to the task of learning the language of Fenimore Cooper, Edgar Poe, Edison, and 31 presidents. In 1941, the end of one year of study, he was proficient enough to use glibly terms like wishful thinking and okie-dokie. By 1942, he was able to interrupt his narration with the phrase to make a long story short. By the time Truman entered his second term, Pnin could handle practically any topic, but otherwise progress seems to have stopped 
despite all his efforts, and by 1950 his English was still full of flaws. That autumn he supplemented his Russian courses by delivering a weekly lecture in a so-called symposium, Wingless Europe, a survey of contemporary continental culture, directed by Dr. Hagen. All our friends' lectures, including sundry ones he gave out of town, were edited by one of the younger members of the German department. This procedure was somewhat complicated. Professor Pnin laboriously translated his own Russian verbal flow, teeming with idiomatic proverbs, into patchy English. This was revised by young Miller. Then Dr. Hagen's secretary, and Miss Eisenbohr typed it out. Then Pnin deleted the passages he could not understand. Then he read it to his weekly audience. He was utterly helpless without the prepared text, nor could he use the ancient system of dissimulating his infirmity by moving his eyes up and down, snapping up an eyeful of words, reeling them off to his audience, and drawing out the end of the sentence while diving for the next. Pnin's worried eye would be bound to lose its bearings. Therefore, he preferred reading his lectures, his gaze glued to his text in a slow, monotonous baritone that seemed to climb one of those interminable flights of stairs used by people who dread elevators. The conductor, a grey-headed fatherly person with steel spectacles, placed rather low on his simple, functional nose, and a bit of soiled adhesive tape on his thumb, had now only three coaches to deal with before reaching the last one, where Pnin rode. Pnin, in the meantime, had yielded to the satisfaction of a special Pninian craving. He was in a Pninian quandary, among other articles indispensable for a Pninian overnight stay in a strange town, such as shoe trees, apples, dictionaries and so on. His Gladstone bag contained a relatively new black suit he planned to wear that night for the lecture. Are the Russian people communist? Before the Cremona ladies. It also contained next Monday's symposium lecture, Don Quixote and Faust, which he intended to study the next day on his way back to Waynedale, and a paper by the graduate student Betty Bliss, Dostoevsky and Gestalt Psychology, that he had read for Dr. Hagen, who was her main director of cerebration. The quandary was as follows. If he kept the Cremona manuscript, a sheaf of typewriter-sized pages carefully folded down the centre, on his person, in the security of his body warmth, the chances were, theoretically, that he would forget to transfer it from the coat he was wearing to the one he would wear. On the other hand, if he placed the lecture in the pocket of the suit in the bag now, he would, he knew, be tortured by the possibility of his luggage being stolen. On the third hand, these mental states sprout additional forelimbs all the time. He carried in the inside pocket of his present coat a precious wallet, two ten-dollar bills, the newspaper clipping of a letter he had written with my help to the New York Times in 1945, anent the Yalta Conference, and his certificate of naturalization, and it was physically possible to pull out the wallet if needed in such a way as fatally to dislodge the folded lecture. During the twenty minutes he had been on the train, our friend had already opened his bag twice to play with his various papers. When the conductor reached the car, Diligent Pnin was perusing with difficulty Betty's last effort, which began, When we consider the mental climate wherein we all live, we cannot but notice... The conductor entered, did not awake the soldier, promised the women he would let them know when they would be about to arrive, 
and presently was shaking his head over Nin's ticket. The Cremona stop had been abolished two years before. Important lecture, cried Nin. What to do? It is a catastrophe. Gravely, comfortably, the grey-headed conductor sank into the opposite seat and consulted in silence a tattered book full of dogged insertions. In a few minutes, namely at 3.08, Pnin would have to get off at Whitchurch. This would enable him to catch the four o'clock bus that would deposit him around six at Cremona. I was thinking I gained twelve minutes, and now I have lost nearly two whole hours, said Pnin bitterly upon which, clearing his throat and ignoring the consolation offered by the kind greyhead, you'll make it. He took off his reading glasses, collected his stone-heavy bag, and repaired to the vestibule of the car, so as to wait there for the confused greenery skimming by to be cancelled and replaced at the definite station he had in mind. Nine Two Wise Read By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Unterberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings and literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to Nine Two Wise Read By wherever you download podcasts. If you're able, please visit 92y.org slash help now to donate to support Nine Two Y and our new digital programming. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Find more great recordings at 92y.org slash redbye.